The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, May 27, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports I own college basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And I guess we'll just start with what feels like the most significant news of the day. Mac McClung has transferred from Georgetown to Texas Tech. Another nice pickup for Chris Beard. Beat Auburn, Memphis, USC, BYU, Arkansas, and Wake Forest to land the Instagram sensation. So, Norlander, we'll get right into it. Here's the question. Do you think Mac McClung will get a waiver to play immediately in Lubbock. No, I don't believe that McClung will get the waiver. Uh, you have, I believe, what is the definitive column on Mac McClung to Texas Tech that's available right now on the internet. Um, let me tee you back up. One with the column, but two, just keep in mind for everyone that there is another player that's a guard that's high profile that already transferred out, James Akinjo. He's at Arizona. We don't yet know if Akinjo is further along in the waiver clearance process than McClung, but it wouldn't surprise me, Parrish, if Akinjo is further along, if whatever decision he gets from the waiver process was the same as McClung's. But to the answer to your question, I don't believe that McClung will get cleared. I think he will sit a season and then play for Texas Tech in 2021-2022. But what say you? And you touched on it in a column, so enlighten the people. What's your thoughts? Well, the, the first thing I would say is that it's it's baffling to me how people in our profession report on these transfers. Because, like, one, okay. one non-grad trans. Okay, so, like, everybody understands the deal with grad transfers. You're a grad transfer. You're going to transfer. You're going to play immediately. Like, every, it's clear cut. Mm. And, then, and then there's everybody else. And everybody else, by rule, is a quote-unquote sit-out transfer. So it's just wild to me to watch. Like one guy who is a quote unquote sit out transfer will announce he's committing to some school, and people go, you know, he has committed to this school. He has to sit out next year, but he'll play, you know, he'll sit out one and have two to play. And then, like, a player with the exact same situation transfer announces a transfer, and they go, oh, he's going to be really good for Texas Tech next season. Like, are you guys just handing out waivers on Twitter? Are you, like, well, are you, call, are you calling me out? Because I'll tell you what, this is I actually did this unintentionally, but I got my four-year-old crawling on my shoulder, and I see the news, and I'm just like, hold on, hold on, Carter, hold on. I'm just going to send out a quick tweet about Mac McClung, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, you freaking idiot. He might not even be – so I did what you're talking about. No, I know, but it's not – it, it might have been you, but it's not just you. It's like almost everybody, and it, and they're not consistent with it at all. It'll be like, well, this player is transferring. He'll sit out next season. 
And then a player with the exact same set of circumstances will transfer, and they'll be like, ooh, that's a big get for next season's team. It's like, what are we doing? Like, you can't hand out waivers on Twitter. Like, you can say he has a good chance to get a waiver or why you think he's going to get a waiver, but just assigning players to next year's roster who are sit-out transfers is wild to me, and yet it happens all the time. My favorite was our buddy Jeff Goodman earlier today. So this this nerd tweets uh, – um, Mac McClung, uh, you know, transfer. It's official. Going to Texas Tech, going to be really great with the Red Raiders next season, or something like that. that was- and then literally comes back four minutes later and says, "Nobody knows for sure if McClung's going to get a waiver. They're just assuming." And I'm like, "You're talking about you. You're you're the one doing that." It's like he was criticizing. Like it was a tweet designed to criticize Adam Zagoria or something. But he was like. He was taking aim directly at his previous tweet. I, I don't even know what's going on. But all right, okay, so all right, hold on, hold on. Just make clear. I want to get the scoreboard clear here. You got a problem with people handing out handing out waivers on Twitter, but you're okay with giving yourself a doctorate on a podcast. I am a doctor okay. and a rising star in the field of meteorology. I just, wanted, I just wanted to make sure. All right, all right. Hey, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm consistent across yeah, the board. Fine. I'm just saying I got these things that I'm okay with and other things that I'm not. Okay. It's just like if, if we're going to discuss sit-out transfers by NCAA rule currently in place, let's just all discuss it the same way. This is a player who just announced he's going to that school. Unless he gets a waiver, he'll have to sit out. That's fine. But like all the time, it's it's like he's going to be great next season. Well, did we just you just decided he's going to get a waiver? Like you already figured that out? What are we doing? So anyway, that's it. Just it bothers me, but I understand it probably only bothers me. So let's get back to your question. Do you think Mac McClung is going to get a waiver to play immediately next season? My answer: You ready for this? I don't know, but I will say he seems to have set the groundwork for a compelling case, which is the point I made with the column. When he announced a couple of weeks ago that he was leaving Georgetown, he was asked for his reasoning, and this is what he said. Quote, it was a number of different events that made me feel I had no choice but to transfer from Georgetown. I really wanted to stay, but things throughout my career made me realize that I couldn't. In other words, and this is the point I've made before and I made in the column today, like that's the way you do it. You don't start talking about, well, I want more playing time or I want a bigger stage or I want to play point guard. You say there were things that happened that made me feel like I couldn't be there anymore. Now, does he have, actually have examples of those things or documented examples of those things? I don't know. Is he being sincere? I couldn't say for sure, but I will say the fact that he stayed away from any sort of basketball reason at all and his publicly known reasoning for leaving Georgetown is rooted in different events that made him feel he had no choice but to transfer, that sets yourself up to get a waiver. Now, we'll see if he can submit these events in a convincing way to the NCAA. But I guess the the main point of the column was just, if you're a basketball player thinking about transferring, uh, cut and paste that statement because that's where you start. If you start talking about like Landers Nolly transferred to Memphis, he's interviewed by, uh, by Memphis media. And he's like, you know, I just felt like I was playing out of position at Virginia tech. I'm a guard. Like you should never say that. You are sub- you are submitting. You're tying your reasoning to basketball reasons. That's how your waiver gets denied. Olivier Saar talks about 
you know, is, couldn't pass on the opera. I'm paraphrasing here, but right. talks about like how awesome it would be to play at Kentucky, which it would be, but that's not a good enough reason well, to get a yeah. waiver to play immediately. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with Mac McClung, but I just know that he laid a foundation to build a case on in a, in what is, I think, a pretty intelligent way. Saar also said that if he doesn't get the waiver, that he'll have intentions to play basketball no matter what next season. Uh, so that would be a professional route as well, which um, certainly wouldn't seem to help his case overall. Um, it is interesting. and We also have to acknowledge that because of the COVID-19 era that we are in, predicting these things becomes a little bit, of a fool's errand because we we don't yet know uh, how the NCAA is going to react when it comes to this stuff. We have an interesting waiver situation. We'll get to in just a, a few here, but um, just keep that in mind. As for just real quick, whether he plays next season or not, um, McClung going to Texas Tech is interesting. I would have been most excited to see him play at BYU because I think that would have potentially opened him up for the uh, – biggest kind of offensive firepower green light kind of situation but for all we know McClung well one he's going to a coach who's well established as one of the best in the game um and Chris Beard's only you know five seasons in as a D1 head coach and he's done wonders for his reputation there um maybe he is going to be that committed on the defensive end this doesn't seem like a surefire win for both parties I don't think I think he can be good hey, listen McClung averaged 15.7 points 3.1 boards, 2.4 assists, and he shot 39% from the field at Georgetown, and he was a volume player out of desire, but also became a volume player out of downright necessity once Akinjo bounced and left after seven games last season. Um, so I don't know. I don't really know if Texas Tech, whether he's going to play next season or the season after that, if they're going to have the right kind of guy uh, on or off ball to totally compliment him. So for the Texas Tech fans that have checked in here just to get a, a quick take on McClung and how he fits with Chris Beard's system, like I think that he will be a, a fine player, but I don't think he is the kind of addition no matter when he is going to play and for how long that will be, one year or two years, he'll have two years left of eligibility regardless, that he is going to be the kind of guy that flips Texas Tech season and makes them into a surefire Final Four contender or anything like that. Nice player, needs to get better defensively. You have to play hard if you're going to play for Chris Beard. McClung has a really awesome motor. I think he'll be a fine piece, but I'm not convinced that he's going to wind up, we're going to look up a year from now, if that's when he's playing, or two years from now, GP, and say, oh yeah, this was one of the two or three best surefire transfers. I'm not quite there. Our colleague David Cobb is kind of with me. Um... So just keep that in mind going forward. But uh, but it was an intriguing, intriguing uh, commitment nonetheless, and we'll wait to see how long we even find out when it comes to these waivers. So keep that in mind as well. It can be a long process, and I wouldn't suspect – I would not suspect that we'll have any answer on McClung. I'm going to be conservative here, GP. I like, I'm talking like mid-August at the earliest, I wouldn't think. Well, I mean, who knows? There, there's no timeline to follow on whether you get a waiver or not. Sometimes they drift into season, and like the Johnny Juzang situation that we'll get to in a minute, it can you know happen for you on May 27th, which seems incredibly early. So I don't know anything about the timeline or yeah. time frame, but I do agree with you about McClung as a player. Like, listen, he's a nice player. You don't go to Georgetown and then have options to transfer to Texas Tech, Memphis, Auburn, USC, BYU, Arkansas, Wake Forest if you're not a nice player. You can't score 15.7 points per game in the Big East if you're not a nice player. But that said, is he more famous than he is great? Probably. Yeah, probably. You know, and, and, and why is that? Well, you know, incredible high school career, 
let's be honest, little white guy who dunks, played at Georgetown. He's an Instagram celebrity. He's got like 700,000 followers on Instagram because he's a little white guy who dunks. So, like, I I think he's more famous than than great, but still good. But, but like, this was the biggest college basketball headline today, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. And and if if he goes to Texas Tech, will he ever be the best player on a good Texas Tech team? I'm not convinced of that, GP. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Um, but I will tell you, I wrote that column, and it it's already gotten about seven times as many views as a normal column. Hmm. Like that. So, like, there's there's an audience. There it's is partly why I wanted to write it. I just it, I just I was like, there's well, people know who this is, right. and it's I mean, it's May 27th. I might as well write something. But I thought it was interesting that the column. You know, listen, I know when I write a great column and when I write an okay column, it's it's a perfectly reasonable c- column. But it's not like seven times better than what I wrote last week, but it has gotten seven times more views already. And I think that speaks to the celebrity of Mac McClung. He is, he is a, he's more well-known than he is great, but still, let's not get it twisted. If you're Chris Beard, you take him and you're glad you got it. Without a doubt. Uh, real quick before we move on, I, we, do, we just should note we should note here. I mean, it's been a, a few days since it came, it's been five days since we learned. But uh, Patrick Ewing uh, contracted COVID-19, uh, contracted coronavirus, and was diagnosed with COVID-19. Uh, that was on Friday, heading into the long Memorial Day weekend. He has since returned home, uh, which is great to hear. It's obviously been a rough go for Ewing, uh, I guess in general, because uh, he had to live through the Jordan documentary, then uh, agreed to do about five or six interviews talking about how great Michael Jordan was, beat him in college, obviously, and then the Knicks could never get past MJ and the Bulls, specifically there. Um, loses McClung, loses a whole bunch of kids to transfer. Georgetown, I think, is easily easily going to be the worst team in the Big East next season here. Noah McClung is a huge stinger. He had mentioned and he had gone on record to say, you know, McClung's still in the draft process, but he's going to come on back to school. Obviously, that's not happening there. But uh, at the top of the list, though, uh, glad to hear that Ewing is recovering, um, apparently recovering well from uh, having contracted the virus. But that when when one of the greatest college basketball players, and really one of the 50 best NBA players of all time, and one of the few active head coaches contracts coronavirus. That's a legitimate headline. It just happened to land right heading into the three-day weekend. I did want to bring that up real quick while we were touching on uh, McClung leaving Georgetown. Glad to see that he is better, but in a basketball sense, Ewing has a lot of work to do. He has a huge rebuild ahead of him and now trying to get any sort of, sort of momentum to build next to the next one, two, or three years. Uh, I know Georgetown fans are, are kind of hurting with this because it's not going as well as they had hoped. And the McClung stuff, as we sit here talking about it, they're sitting there thinking, well, let's flash back to where we were back in November, you know, GP, all of eight months ago when it really looked like Georgetown was going to be ascending to something of a decent season, completely flames out. And now the program, you could easily make the argument, is probably in as bad, if not of worse position now than it was when Ewing took it over. It just shows you, or is it's a reminder of how delicate this profession is for these guys. Like, it really did feel like, you know, and, and like the, these NBA players coming back to coach their alma maters, like it, it hasn't always been great. Chris Mullen at St. John's was not great, but it felt like Patrick was like right about to turn the corner, like had it really close to, to becoming relevant again, and then it just blows up on him. Yes. And some of it happened midseason. Obviously, the McComb thing happens after the season, and now he's in a bad spot. Like, you know, obviously, his health is the most important thing; that's the priority. But um, you know, after that is, a, you know, in his past, and he's you know up and running again, 
Um, he's got a basketball. He's got a, a, a historically great basketball program to run. And you're exactly right. It's in a it's in a bad place right now. And that's not good for college basketball. Like we don't need to spend much time on this, any more time than on this. But college basketball is better when Georgetown matters. That's a big brand from my childhood. And the idea that it might be picked finish last in the Big East next season. That's uh that's just not where Georgetown basketball could be. So it should be. So hopefully and I do mean this sincerely, like I hope Patrick gets better and then I hope that uh he gets that program back on track one way or another. We mentioned another transfer who surprisingly I think already got a waiver to play immediately next season. That's Johnny Juzing at UCLA. We're gonna get into that next, but first let me remind you that college football is inching closer, which means it is the perfect time to unveil off-season rankings. And that's what the Cover 3 podcast is doing one episode at a time this week. I don't know if you've been following that, but they're dedicating like 15-minute episodes every day, counting down the top five. So like Georgia was number five on Monday, Oklahoma number four on Tuesday, Alabama number three today. So uh, I guess by process of elimination, they're down to Ohio State and Clemson for the top two spots. Unless you think one of them is going to be Southern Miss or something. So yeah. those episodes are going to try. Wouldn't that be something? If Southern Miss was number two. Just nice little curveball from Fornelli and the guys. Yes, that'd be great. <laughs> so those episodes are dropping Thursday and Friday. Number one, I mean, number two on Thursday, number one on Friday. And like I said, they're an easy listen, just like roughly 15 minutes each. So go check out the Cover 3 podcast if you haven't already. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found. So... Johnny Juzang got a waiver to play immediately, which might not, independent of everything else, be the most surprising thing in the world. But the idea that he got it on May 27th, that is a little bit surprising. How did they knock that out so quickly? I, I think I have an answer to the question. Of course you have an answer to the question. Go ahead. It's a pretty give, simple one. Give, but, the, uh, give, I wanna, give the people I, I, the answer to the question. Well, I did ask somebody connected to the whole situation. Like, how did – A – uh, good for you because I always root for the players to get uh, waivers. I think it's crazy that they have to. Um, so I'm never disappointed when somebody actually gets one. But I am a little surprised sometimes when people get them and especially surprised when it happens in May 27th. What I was told is that from the NCAA's perspective, it was a softball case and the case was rooted in this. Johnny Juzing is from Southern California, lives like 15 minutes, grew up 15 minutes from UCLA's campus. He was in school at Kentucky, pandemic hits, he wants to get back closer to home, and he literally goes as close to home as he could get, which is UCLA. Young man, during a pandemic, you want to be closer to your family, uh, that's fine with us. Stay up approval, you get a waiver to play immediately. Now, if we're being honest, do we think Johnny Juzang really transferred back home because of the pandemic? Like, that is the way I would apply for the waiver as well. But, like, it's also true that he didn't play very much as a freshman, probably wasn't going to play very much as a sophomore. He was going to get out of there anyway. And I, I think it's interesting that he might have done exactly what he was going to do. In fact, I think probably would have even without the pandemic, which is leave Kentucky, go to UCLA. But because of the pandemic, you can say, well, that's really why I did it. And what is the NCAA going to do? Argue with your motive? So they stamped it. He's good to go. Good for him, but it is an interesting situation. It is an interesting situation. I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Did John Wooden ever get a sit-out transfer immediately eligible? No, I not. I read the Wikipedia page. I read the Seth Davis book, and it wasn't in there anywhere. Not in there, was it? No. No, John, no Johnny Juzang's getting immediately eligible in 1967, are they? Yeah. Hey, old-timers. 
Tell me, give me an example of John Wooden getting a Johnny Juzang eligible in May. Sit out transfer turned into an immediate player just like that. that you put John Wooden do. on the sidelines in 2020 right now, you throw Johnny Juzang in his backyard, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't. He's lost. He does not know how to handle this. Mick Cronin. I mean, Paris gave a nice answer, but come on. We know that everyone knows the real answer here. It's Mick Cronin. He got it done. You know what? The sit-out rules don't apply, and that's going to be forever the case with Mick Cronin at UCLA because this rule is going to go away next year. He's going to be batting 1,000 at UCLA with sit-out transfers. You do you, Mick. Gangsta. Love it. Johnny Zuzang, by the way, averaged 2.9 points and 1.9 rebounds. Played 28% of Kentucky's minutes. Uh, I would be, listen, I'm sure he formerly, uh, obviously, a well-rated player. He gets to Kentucky. That's kind of the deal there. Um, he had a couple of moments, I think, in a UK uniform where I could say, uh, yeah, dude, seems like he's good. I have no idea how much of an impact he's going to make. Uh, good on UCLA in getting him, though, because if he can tap into something um, – that can provide potential, 8 points, 10 points, 12 points a game. Obviously, UCLA would really prefer to have that after losing. They don't play the same position or anything, but you know you get what you can get here. Um, they lose Dacian Nix. Now they get Juzang immediately eligible. Good on him. But what you did say is important to keep in mind when we talked about Mac McClung and James Akinjo and any other high-profile uh, guy out there that you want to that you want to pick out that's going to apply for a waiver. Um, if they are not transferring back home, uh, truly back home to a school exceedingly close, you know, Juzang, you said, grew up, what, 15 minutes away? Um, that might be the North Star for anyone that's seeking immediate eligibility in college basketball. So just be sure to uh, to keep that in mind. And if we look up, you know, at the end of October, end of November, whenever the season is about to start, and most of these waivers have been handled, uh, if you saw a common thread there, I wouldn't be surprised. Juzang is just the first. We wait and see if he'll be the last. But like every here's the problem because you know I had a radio show this afternoon in Memphis and they were like you know some listeners are like hey if the kid from uh, um, Kentucky got a, a, a waiver to play immediately at UCLA then what about Landers Nolly or DeAndre Williams because Memphis has two sit out transfers right now who both of them would probably start for Memphis at this point like they they, they matter you know Landers Nolly averaged 15 points per game in the ACC yeah. and like the problem is Landers Nolly's from Atlanta transferred to Memphis it's not really any closer than Virginia Tech is and DeAndre Williams is from Houston transferred to Memphis if he wanted to play the pandemic guard he needed to call Kelvin Sampson and go to Houston not Memphis so it's interesting like it just works perfectly for Juzang but the idea that it's going to work, the pandemic, quote-unquote pandemic, is going to work perfectly for all other transfers or even most other transfers, I'm I'm not sure I see that. Yeah, you could be correct about that. And I assume we'll get to this player next week when he's expected to commit. Um, but Musa Cisse, who was a 2021 top 10 guy, reclassified to 2020. And so um, – Classmates with my son. That's right. We've talked about him on the pod before. That's that's indeed correct. So anyway, uh, my son tutored him so well that he was able to get out of high school a year early. Put for, that on your college application. First, kiddo. first of all, you got to be breaking this kid's commitment. Okay. <laughs> like, you know what? I'll be completely honest with you. I've stayed completely out of it, and yeah. the reason is because fans are crazy. Oh, like, I, yeah. it is true. It's not only that my son and Musa go to the same school. They were in the same year. They were both juniors this year, and they were in the same classes. And my son literally helped tutor him after school sometimes, right? And so, like, my son could text him right now. I'm, I'm assuming, like, they or, or certainly hit him up on Snapchat or something. Like, they're, they, I don't know that they're best friends. Like, Musa says he's never been to my house, but like, they know each other. And so, my, because fans are so crazy, here's what would happen: 
Oh. Yeah. If he goes to Memphis, Kentucky fans would be like, ah, Parrish had a was it using his son to influence him <laughs> to go to Memphis. And why if he goes to Kentucky, Memphis fans will be con- the same Memphis. The, the Memphis fans will be like, Parrish hates his alma mater, <laughs> and he pushed it because he loves John Calipari. Pushed him to Kentucky. Like people are just wacko. They come, doesn't matter what would happen. Somehow. Somebody would want to say I had a role in making it happen. So I'm like, I haven't even asked. I actually asked my son today, hey, did you see or did you hear that Musa finally reclassified? And he said, yeah, 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 I saw it. Um, but then I left it there. I didn't say, what do you think he's going to do? Or have you talked to him about it? I just don't even, I didn't want to get involved. You might have a rough next week coming for you, though. Because he's supposed it's just, to. It, it's just like people, people, I swear to God, like whether it's message boards or social media or like a, a Facebook fan page. I don't see most of it because I just stay, I just stay away from it. But I, I'm not exaggerating. Eighty percent of the things I read about myself, not about my columns or about my radio show, but like, hey, I heard Gary Parish said this or did this. I, I'm not exaggerating. Eighty percent of it is completely made up. Like, there's no truth to it whatsoever. But these people have a unique ability to just imagine things. And so when there is actually a situation where my son is classmates with a five-star prospect, I was just like, I don't – I don't – I've never met Musa Cisse, and I have no intention of doing it until after he picks a college. Man, connections all over the place. Josh Parrish, obviously your half-brother, going to play for San Diego, which is yep. big news we talked about last week on the pod. And now Musa Cisse, who is expected to make his announcement next week. Um, but anyway, the, bring, the only reason why I brought him, and we'll probably, well, not probably, we will talk about him more next week uh, if and when he does commit. Um, for Memphis's uh, particular situation, if he does go there, uh, it will lessen the blow because I personally don't see how a player like Landers Nolly is going to get eligible. I think that you are going to have him sit and then he'll be avail- available and eligible to get on the court uh, a year from now. Aside from that, um, yeah, I think I'm tapped out on Johnny Juzang content, my man. Then let's move on to another Pac-12 school. Bobby Hurley hates his athletic director, or at least he did back in December. We'll get into that next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So there was an interesting story published by Pete Thamel, Yahoo Sports. He published an email sent from Bobby Hurley to Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson. Again, the email coming in December in which Hurley accuses his athletic director of having, quote, disregarded the safety and show no sensitivity towards the women that have experienced sexual assault, end quote. Bobby also in that same email, told Anderson he felt like he'd been lied to. And this is all connected to a situation uh, that, that broke earlier in the season, earlier in, in this year, uh, I believe. Um, 
There's a guy named Bart Ware who is a or was a prominent Arizona State booster. Guy sounds like a real creepo. Three different women, one of whom is Bobby Hurley's wife, accused him of sexual harassment. Now, to be fair to Bart Ware, he denies the allegations. He's suing Arizona State for damaging his reputation to the tune of like $5 million. But, I mean, let's just keep it real. Do you think three different women are lying on this dude? I don't. And now Bobby Hurley is pissed, or at least he was pissed. I should say Bobby released a statement uh, here on Wednesday night that read this way. My relationship with athletic director Ray Anderson today is strong. (laughs) We will work together alongside my outstanding coaching staff toward the continued success of Sun Devil men's basketball. So the most important word in that statement is today. My relationship is strong today because on the day that he sent this email, which I believe was December 7th, it wasn't strong. He was flat out accusing his athletic director of a whole bunch of stuff. And doing that, knowing Bobby, I could see Bobby popping off in person. When you send that email, you are creating a paper trail intentionally. Yeah. Like, like you're, you're creating a paper trail intentionally so you can have what you want on the record. And it's it almost looked like he was setting up a situation where I think I, I think I can power play you right now and get you out of here, and this is the first step in doing it. It's exactly what I thought when I saw all this, okay? Yeah. And uh, also, uh, really good on on Bobby Hurley to do this, frankly. Like, you know, you don't get extra you don't get extra credit for, for paying your taxes, watching your kids, or sticking up for your wife. I get all that. But um, if, you know, we put ourselves in his shoes, uh, and, and most other men, it would just be enraging. It's just uh, absolutely infuriating to the point of, like, boiling anger, okay, when, uh, the kind of treatment that, um, that your significant other would, would, would fall under, uh, uh, you know, allegedly so. But... Um, yeah, I just thought, you know what? Bobby can run hot. Uh, he's developed a reputation for that in the coaching realm. Uh, in some ways, it's very entertaining, endearing, comical. At some times, he goes overboard, uh, but he is super, super passionate. I actually think he's the wilder of the two Hurley brothers, and each of them have have their own quirks. There's no doubt about it. But when I did see this, I thought, all right, um, he's rightfully pissed off, and he is definitely setting up uh, a path here to where if stuff – if more stuff comes out or if he knows more that was even than what was even uh put forth here that's even known to the public now uh he is setting up a way to if he if he thinks that he that he shouldn't have the athletic director that he should and he and Bobby to be clear Bobby Hurley has already established himself as you know one of the two or three best coaches in the history of that program i think relatively easily at this point um then then he would have had a case now it's good to hear that their relationship again today is good and and hopefully all is uh, operating well there uh, within Arizona State. But this was I just I found this to be obviously compelling because the subject you don't, you normally don't get this kind of stuff out in this kind of way. Um, it can be made public through a FOIA, obviously, um, and through other uh, through other things. But yes, I thought it was very interesting, and um, obviously the the alleged behavior involved here is is grotesque and you've got a situation with a booster um, who's going way over the line and the fact that you know his wife and the other two women were ever subject to this is completely unacceptable yeah the, the you know the, the booster to put some details on what he is accused of doing so there's a guy named David Cohen who was an associate ad um, you know at Arizona State he worked directly with the men's basketball program he got fired after he reported 
the harassment. He's filed a lawsuit and accused the athletic director, Ray Anderson, of covering up the right. whole thing. But one of the allegations David Cohen has made is that – so they're at an Arizona State game. I think it was Pac-12 tournament. And his wife is sitting on the same row as um, Bart Ware. And you, you, I mean, just imagine you're sitting on a, a you're sitting on a on a aisle at a basketball game, and you got to get up and to get to, you know, the you know to get out of the aisle, you've got you're sitting on a row, and to get to the aisle, you've got to walk past people. Like we've all done that a million times. And so she's walking past him, and this creepo allegedly puts both of his hands on her, like hips, on her sides, and then runs his hands up her side to her breast, and then looks at her and says, "Dave is lucky to have you." Like that's incredible. Like I don't even know how you can, how could you even be comfortable doing that, right? You know, when you hear this kind of stuff on top of just the completely demoralizing and infuriating stuff that we see in the news, like, it's just like, it can't, yeah, just, it's just GP. <laughs> I just can't. I, I don't even, where I do people get off at? I just don't understand how you could ever, 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 ever. I just don't understand. GP, it just, it's just not compatible with my mindset. Like, how could you ever act like that? With a woman who isn't your own wife, you know, just unbelievable. And so it's three different women. One of whom, so Dave uh, Cohen's wife is one. Bobby Hurley's wife is another. Another woman connected to the program was another. They all ag- accuse him of different things, but all under the same umbrella of sexual harassment. So let's go back to this uh, email that Bobby Hurley sent. So it's December seventh. They had just won a game. And I can just I can picture it. Bobby's on fire after the game because as Bobby tells the story, the athletic director had come to a practice earlier in the week. And by the way, it had been months since Bart Ware had allegedly done these things. And you know, Bobby was already upset about the whole thing because he didn't feel like it was being handled properly. But the AD comes to him and says, listen, I hear you. Um, don't, he's not going to be close to. He's not going to be around basketball program anymore. We'll keep him away. And then in that same week, this this Bart Ware character shows up at an Arizona State game, and he's sitting like front and center, right by the cheerleaders. Like, and, and Bobby's like, "What the? You know, like you told me that you were going to keep him away, and now he's sitting courtside with the cheerleaders, right? Bobby in that same. So Bobby's fired up at the just seeing it. So he sits down at his computer, starts banging out an email. And one of his claims is that Ray Anderson went on a golfing trip with Bart Ware six weeks after learning of the allegation. So that's another part where Bobby's like, yo, what are you doing? We told you this guy did these things to our wives and you're still like golfing buddies with him. Like you're going on his private plane. Like what? And so I can, I, I'm with you. I give Bobby credit. It's like, um, as you put it, he can run hot, but when you run hot, in defense of your wife or other women, um, when you feel like someone who is acting undeniably inappropriately is getting away with it, well, that's a that's a good place to run hot. And not all of us would have the whatevers to stand up to our boss because when you're a coach, that athletic director is your boss. Not all of us would have the 
whatever it takes to stand up to our boss in that way in defense of those women. But Bobby did. And I know now he says that he and Ray Anderson are, are good, but they clearly weren't on December 7th. And I understand why they weren't. If I were Bobby Hurley, I'd have been fed up with Ray Anderson too. Yeah. Uh, well said there. I don't really have much to, uh, much else to add. Um, uh, from from all of that, but yeah, Arizona State. In terms of just real quick on the program, I mean, uh, it's. It, I think the ASU fans realize that you know with some of the stuff with Bobby under like there are definite moments during games where you're like, all right, it's just too much. And I would even say that you know we don't know when Mike Shashevsky will retire, but I think because of. Bobby, he's one of the best players in that program's history. Uh, that actually might be working against him being the successor, but he is certainly doing things at Arizona State on the court uh, and in recruiting that are uh, quickly making him one of the best coaches in program history. I actually recently did a did a whole story on CBSSports.com about you know the, look at the power conferences and who the best coach in in, in each of those uh, schools was that's currently active. And Hurley's not there yet, but he is he is certainly getting there and. Um, I just thought the the story was obviously uh, interesting in that we we just almost never see something like this. If you tell us that there's a major college or football coach at a, at a you know power institution caught up with his athletic director in a scandal uh, that has to do with sexual harassment, it's almost never the coach that's on this side of the conversation. And so right. uh, you know, uh, credit to Bobby for acting the way that he did, and I certainly hope that he and his AD are on good terms, but uh, you know when you take Bobby, Herm Edwards, and and Anderson, uh, it's a clear pecking order in terms of who the who truly are the most powerful people in the athletic department. Yeah, like um, I don't think I'd ever seen like listen, there are plenty of coaches who hate their athletic directors. I don't think I'd ever seen yes an email or a text message or or proof evidence of a coach going at his athletic director so brazenly and so aggressively and accusing him of serious misconduct like you know hey you went on a golfing trip with the guy who we told you was sexually harassing our wives six weeks after we told you like that's you know that's i'm sure ray anderson can rationalize it in his own head in my head it seems like unacceptable behavior and for bobby to call him out on it i thought was again just a, a, a interesting story uh let's move on to a bit of sad news over the weekend uh saturday night at the age of 84, um, Eddie Sutton died, uh, Hall of Fame coach uh, who had an incredible career that was, yeah, tinged here and there with scandal. But when you talk about one of the all-time great basketball coaches, like Eddie Sutton is, is on that list. He coached at Creighton, Arkansas, Kentucky, Oklahoma State, and then finished his career as the interim coach at San Francisco, which is where he was able to eclipse the 800 win marker, which is why he decided to coach that one season at San Francisco. He made three final fours. He's the two time AP coach of the year. And so I guess the good news uh, is that he was elected to the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame this year. And so he lived long enough to know he was a Hall of Famer. But the sad news is that he didn't live long enough to enjoy the ceremony. It was scheduled for this year. I don't know if you saw this. Jackie McMullen reported earlier tonight that that ceremony is now being pushed to 2021. Mm. Just you know, so that and that is the Kobe Bryant ceremony right. as well. Tim Duncan, so, yeah. Tim Duncan, I, I guess Kevin Garnett. Yes. But um, Eddie Sutton was a part of that, and so uh, it's just like I tweeted Saturday night. I'm glad that Coach Sutton 
was able to die knowing, or I should put it the other way, lived long enough to know you were recognized as a Naismith Memorial Hall of Famer. But it did kind of make me a little sad that he'll never get to experience that ceremony because anybody who's ever gotten to experience that will tell you it's a it's a pretty pretty incredible night. No doubt about it. Um, obviously, Doug Gottlieb is is one of his more well-known players uh, and is, is as vocal about Sutton as anyone, given Gottlieb's prominent role in the basketball media uh, for more than a decade now. Um, and he had said, I caught him saying that, um, that he thought that, you know, for much of the past year or so, your two years or three years, uh, one of the biggest things that might have been driving Eddie to keep going uh, was just waiting to see if he would get into the Hall of Fame. This was a huge deal. He's as Sutton has had, uh, I, I, I say, for probably nearly a decade, and, and with increasing volume in the past two, three, four years, a, a very vocal and adamant and passionate crowd, not just guys that played for him, but other coaches and former coaches that have been pushing uh, to get him into the Hall. And while the uh, Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame, the voting body, the, the members are not made public, which is something I've constantly criticized, uh, but that's just how it is. Uh, behind closed doors, there are enough people in basketball power circles that know who votes and who doesn't. And, and clearly, uh, those words eventually had enough influence that he finally got in this year. Um, he had been in failing health. Uh, he was married uh, to a woman, uh, Patsy Wright, for 55 years. And so, you know, imagine, you know, living living with and loving for someone for so long, more than five decades, five and a half decades. And uh, he's now at peace there. But uh, certainly a titan in college coaching, one of, you know, a handful, eight to 10, 12 guys ever. Uh, to win 800 games at the D1 level in, in men's basketball. He was born in Buckland, Kansas, died in Tulsa, Oklahoma. When he played at Oklahoma State in the 1950s, it was actually called Oklahoma A&M. He learned under Henry Iba, not such a small detail. Uh, one of Sutton's biggest claims to fame is that he started at Creighton, Coach Arkansas, Coach Kentucky, and then Oklahoma State before finishing at San Francisco, which is just, <laughs> you're right, it did get him to 800, and I wonder if that's a huge detail in terms of him getting in, you know, eclipsing that number, GP. Um, so it's the fact that Sutton finished his career at San Francisco is just one of the more random coaching tidbits out there. But with Creighton, Arkansas, Kentucky, Oklahoma State, he was the first coach ever to take four programs to the NCAA tournament there, started with Creighton in the 60s, um, Arkansas in the 70s. He got the Hogs to the Final Four in 78. He coached for four years at Kentucky, um, but there were, you know, Kentucky is an interesting one because he brought about a uh, scandal. I mean, academic, improper benefits, some were proven, some weren't, but a lot of people that are listening to this podcast now that are under the end, this is something that I barely even remember, but, you know, over the years, you come to, to read up on it, you learn the stories and all that. So anyone that's over the age of 40 will remember, and anyone that's under the age of 30 has no idea, for the most part. Um, Kentucky was hit so hard by the NCAA that it actually, there, there was uh, gossip and conjecture that it was as close to an, a death penalty as a program as you could actually get at that point because it was a multiple offender. And remember, that's GB, that was on the heels of SMU actually getting it in football, um, and that's what led Rick Pitino to getting to Kentucky, and it's why the 92 Elite Eight game against Duke is so heralded, not just because it was an amazing game, but the backstory about Kentucky just getting gutted and Pitino bringing it all the way back and then losing in overtime at the horn uh, with, the, with, with the unforgettables there. But... Um, but yeah, Sutton had a, a quick but uh, somewhat successful run at UK and then Oklahoma State in 1990-2006. He had the 4 team that made the Final Four, had the 95 team that also made the Final Four there. Um, so he finished with 804 wins, 329 losses, won 71% of his games. I don't know if he was – I don't think he was ever for sure when he was coaching, like – 
the best coach or the second best coach in college basketball at any point. Maybe not even the third best. I don't think that was ever the case. Like right now, as we sit here, if you want to say who are the best active coaches right now, May 2020, you could say, well, you know what? I think it's Tony Bennett. It could be Mike Krzyzewski. You could put Chris Beard, Jay Wright. You know, there are names that you would throw into that conversation there. I don't know if Sutton was ever at that point truly, but when you look at his career, his resume in totality, GP, it's damn impressive. Uh, I do think that he is easily one of the 20 or 25 best coaches in the history of college basketball, uh, men's or women. You mentioned he won AP of the Coach of the Year twice in 78 and 86, and um, he did a great reconstruction job at Oklahoma State when he got there and finally earned induction into the Memorial Hall of Fame. So I'm glad we just took a few minutes to talk about him because uh, he is a big name in the history of the sport and his his name his legacy his family will at least get the uh get the nod there and get to experience that in 2021 but uh gone at the age of 84 and you know this is a cliche but i i find it to be in, in talking to people who knew him they just probably don't make coaches like eddie sutton anymore and i don't say that pejoratively um he definitely was not a guy that was caught up in a lot of the uh the smaller stuff with the job if you will coached in a different style um so uh thoughts with him and his family and uh and produced a a heck of a few good players there among my favorites obviously uh one tony allen so uh rest in peace eddie sutton uh certainly a big legacy and soon to be in the hall of fame yeah he um was great everywhere he coached other than, you know, San Francisco, but that was like, no, whatever. And then, um, you know, Kentucky obviously turned bad, had a losing record in that last year and, you know, got a two year postseason ban. And it's, it's, it's why when you hear somebody say the NCAA never hits the blue buds, like Kentucky got a two year postseason ban. Like they buried that program and it took an all time great, like Rick Pitino to get it back so quickly. But like, that's what it took. Somebody is great. Um, as as Rick Patino, and you mentioned that 2004 Final Four team. That was my first dealings with Eddie Sutton, because um, I was the Memphis beat writer at the time, and they played Memphis in the second round of the East tur- of the uh, NCAA tournament. Oklahoma State was the two seed in the East. Memphis was the seven, and John Calipari had just won his first NCAA tournament game since arriving at Memphis. This was year four. It took till the fourth year that John was at Memphis for him to win a tournament game. And in the second round, they play Oklahoma State, and it's Tony Allen, Joey and Stephen Graham, John Lucas, Ivan McFarlane, and it was just men against boys. Oklahoma State's up 41-19 to the half. They win 70-53. And then trivia time. Oh, that's what I love to hear. All right, give it to me. Who did that Oklahoma State team beat in the Elite Eight to get to the final four. I mean, what are we doing here? This is, the, the question is way too easy. I'm offended. Okay. <laughs> okay. Can you give me something that's difficult? East Rutherford, St. Joe's, undefeated team, losing the Elite Eight, Billy Packer, Nance on the call. Come on. This is not, it's not worthy of trivia time. We've long since moved past that. If you ask me who they beat in the Sweet 16, that I can't tell you. That would actually be difficult. I can't. I cannot recall offhand – who Oklahoma State would have beaten the Sweet 16 that year. Well, first, let me tell you that St. Joe's was not undefeated. That's right. They lost to Xavier, who was an eight seed in the A-10, undefeated in the regular season. They were somewhat of a controversial one seed heading into the 0-4 tournament. In fact, famously, Packer completely dismissed them, and it only took until they got to have that great game at Oklahoma State that Packer publicly uh, commended that St. Joe's team, who I also love. That's one of my favorite Elite Eight games of all time. You're right. They had a one loss, randomly upset in the A-10 quarters by Xavier. Yeah, that was the St. Joe's team that finished 30-2. and two. They were 30-1 and one entering that game. 
Jameer Nelson, National Player of the Year. Jameer now works at CBS Sports Network with me, and he and I just randomly started talking about that game at some point this season, and he was like, we knew, he's like, I knew when it started. Like, this is a different level deal. <laughs> he's like, he's like, all the people who said we hadn't been playing against great athletes, <laughs> he was like, I I doubted him up until we got we got on the court with Oklahoma State, and I was like, okay, maybe they maybe they knew something because like we were just physically overwhelmed by them. But they made it close. It was a uh, final 64-62. And to answer your question, Oklahoma State, their path to that game, it was Eastern Washington. Then beat they beat Eastern Washington by 19, Memphis by 17, Pitt by 12. Mm. So it was Pitt. Is that Ben Howland Pitt or Jamie Dixon Pitt? It's Ooh. Jamie Dixon Pitt. Is it Jamie Dixon Pitt? It appears to be Jamie Dixon Pitt in that 2004. Might, that might, is that Jamie Dixon Pitt first year? I think it probably was. Yep. Yeah. Jamie Dixon, first year at Pitt, 31 and 5. Man, oh, man. Ben and then Oklahoma State goes to the Final Four and plays who? Trivia time. Uh, this is 04, and they lose to Georgia Tech. That's right. Jerry yeah. Jack, Will Bynum, and the, the homie Luke, Luke Schencher. Luke Schencher <laughs> going in the tease for the podcast. That's an absolute automatic. That Georgia <laughs> Tech team. Listen, they had a couple of guys. I get that. But really, I think the most just – listen, shouts to Paul Hewitt. But like, Paul Hewitt got like a lifetime contract. Incredible. Ever. Incredible job. <laughs> but like the most uninspiring, underwhelming national uh, semi-runner-up uh, ever. Like I just, just completely uh, – you knew UConn had that game. You knew when they played UConn in the title game that Georgia Tech had absolutely no shot. It would have been a much better game, and I contend that Oklahoma State would have had a real, real chance to actually pull it off and win a national title if it had played UConn. And, oh, by the way, if that does happen, then I think Eddie Sutton's in the Hall of Fame like 10 years ago, personally. Right. Yeah. Right. But they um, one last Eddie Sutton story. So I get the job at CBS in 2006, and I guess it's 2008 – when he takes over at San Francisco, I don't even remember the details, but if I it feels like somebody got fired and yes. then they needed an interim coach and they yes. were just like the pump brothers were involved in it somehow. Like, like, Hey, we get Eddie to San Francisco and like we can get him to 800 wins. Like that's all they wanted to do is just get him to 800 wins. And so I was, I might've broke the story. I don't remember, but like I, I was, I was in there the whole time with it. And at some point, after it's been reported, you know, maybe Dana Pump is like, well, hey, do you want us to get Coach Sutton to call you? And I don't know Coach Sutton at all. Like, I, I've, I've had my job for two years, and, like, he was out of the game. By, like, our, we didn't really cross paths much. And so I didn't really know him at all. And uh, I bet you I've had dinner with my father-in-law, my wife's father, five times ever, okay? He lives in Arkansas. And... But this, he happened to be in town this night. And so we're sitting at dinner, and my phone rings, and it's Eddie Sutton. And he just thought that was the coolest thing in the world because he's from Arkansas, and he, yeah. like, idolized Eddie Sutton. And he couldn't believe his daughter was married to somebody who was on the phone with Eddie Sutton. I guess he had never quite grasped what my job was. But the idea that Eddie Sutton called – you know me. I don't even remember – a million of games that I've been to, but I can vividly remember sitting with my father-in-law and saying, excuse me, I have to take this call. 
it's Eddie Sutton. He was like, what? Are you, are you playing around? Like Eddie Sutton really just dialed. He thought that was the wildest thing in the world. And I remember like Eddie just being thrilled that he was going to coach again. Because if you remember, it ended badly at Oklahoma State too. Yes. Just for different reasons. There was a, a, a drunken driving incident and it was just – it was an ugly scene. And so he had had the thing in badly at Kentucky and then it ended badly at Oklahoma State. And here was a guy who was just going to – and to me that that – what I remember about it is he just he just sounded like a basketball coach. Like, man, I'm going to be coaching basketball, you know, and I'm, you know, yeah, I'm going to be able to get to 800 wins and that's great, but I just, I'll be back in a gym coaching basketball. Is it going to be on national television the way I used to do it? Is it going to be inside Rupp Arena like it once was? No, but man, I can't wait to coach basketball again. And I know that that season didn't go perfectly, but it did get him above 800 and I know he enjoyed it. And he you know, for to be at such an advanced age at that time, he could not have been more excited in that moment talking on the phone to us to to a stranger because that's what I was to him. I just remember him being really pumped up and and really like just kind. He was genuinely enthusiastic. So I, I have good memories of Eddie Sutton. I'm an Eddie Sutton fan. Good deal. Um, all right, one more bit of news item. I actually like this podcast, GFU. We're hitting on a bunch of different topics. Uh, it's busier than I thought uh, on a late late Wednesday in May, but but here we go. Um, so official word, you, you can inform the people officially here, but official word came down on Wednesday. I th- in, in what for you and I, I think, was an inevitability, but it does impact college basketball, I think, in a very significant way. Tell the people what happened. The NCAA announced today that there's going to be a moratorium on evaluation days until at least – July 31st, which essentially means July recruiting is officially done. Now, none of this should be a surprise. It's just like at this point, the NBA draft hasn't technically been moved, but it's going to be moved. And I talked to Jonathan Gavoni earlier today, and he predicted that it would be moved to September, <laughs> like 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 moved, really moved. And so this is not surprising news, but it is more official news, you know, for the first time in Jesus, you tell me, how many years is there not going to be a peach jam in North Augusta, South Carolina? Well, I I think I know the answer. I think it's 22 because I think it was two years ago that it was the 20th anniversary of the peach jam. But it's the first time, and I don't even know how long. This you, You'd need someone who's been on the beat for a long time, including uh, the legendary Tom Konchalski, who recently retired. But why not give a shout to Tom? Have you ever shaken Tom's hand, by the way? Of course. Yeah, legendary handshake. You're in, you're in there for at least 40 seconds. <laughs> he gets, he gets you, and there's no getting out. He, it makes me uncomfortable. Like you, the president does that too, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just, yeah. just it just holds on to you. Yeah, I just. But you know, Tom's such a sweet, sweet guy, truly a legendary evaluator. Um, he might have the answer for the last time that there wasn't a July live period. The college basketball uh, recruiting calendar. Um, it truly is a live organism. Like it changes every two to five years so in terms of when you can go out, when you can't go out, what events are allowed, what aren't allowed, live periods, dead periods, rule changes, all that stuff. So it's constantly changing. But I couldn't tell you the last time that coaches were actually not on the road whatsoever uh, to evaluate basketball players in July. I mean, we, we could be talking like six decades here. Uh, I don't know. Um, but that was an inevitability, just like you said with the draft. Uh, that is absolutely accurate there. And it... It now leaves the question, and I talked to a couple coaches here um, on on Wednesday, one since it came out and a couple earlier, uh, just kind of casual and on background, but we did get to just talking recruiting. And I listen, it's significant because 
first and foremost, uh, I mean, coaches say this with some self-interest, but they also say it on behalf of the players that they're recruiting the ones that they're not. What you've got here is most particularly kids that are going to be seniors, class of 2021, they were robbed of April, and now they're robbed of July. These are the opportunities where you might be seen as a two-star kid or a three-star kid, and then you get yourself right in three games or two games or maybe even one game, and it changes your entire life because the right coach saw you, and suddenly you go from having either no offers, period, to getting you know A-Sun and Southland offers or whatever, or you're a a Southland-level player to the A-10, or you're an A-10-level player to the ACC. I mean, these are life-changing things that happen every year, um, and they are documented frequently by you or me or people in the media or recruiting writers, obviously. It's really awesome. It's Sure, it's, it's it becomes a bit like, okay, yeah, another guy, no one knew who this dude was, and now suddenly you've got blue bloods in on him. Like, it almost happens uh, with the turning of the seasons, but it's still every year that it happens. When you see a 16- or 17-year-old get to experience that, and particularly if you talk to a, a parent, that's on hand, it's awesome to hear those stories. So they've been robbed of that. And so what coaches want to know now is, okay, when are we going to have clarity on uh, if and when we're going to get to see these guys at all in a competitive environment? Like, are we going to be able to push back the uh, the non-scholastic calendar into September, GP? Or is it going to be, I mean, Mike Bray told me a couple months ago, he's like, I wouldn't be surprised if we got to October, November before we got to see these guys in in a weird way, maybe this one year will be almost like how we used to recruit in 1984. Like we're going to the high schools and that's really where we're getting the majority of our live action. No one has those answers yet, but Wednesday did bring the official end uh, of the July period. And that is a significant thing for how programs operate and how they're able to recruit, who they're chasing. And there are probably going to be lower level schools that are going to be in on guys uh, that bigger schools are just not going to be able to see. And so they're going to benefit, I think, in the short term there. Um, Keep an eye out for that. And just to kind of loop it back to what we talked about the start, GP, um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And I don't know how you could track all this data, but if you just looked up in December or March of next year and and just saw how many players just opted to stay within 30 miles, 60 miles, 90 miles of home, just out of either concern for what we're going through or just local schools being more in on these guys, um, just keep an eye out with that because there are not going to be a lot of schools like in Arizona. Oh, by the way, just a toss, just a an afterthought of a headline, so, so to speak here, they got another commitment. Arizona has six players who are from foreign countries and they have been able to get in the legwork with their class of 2020. They got like nine kids that are going to turn over here, including Akinjo, who I mentioned, but that's, that's not going to be the case uh, with a lot of schools. I think for the next season, GP, you're not going to have and Arizona could be uh, flush among them where you're going to have these big programs that are going to be able to reel in international pro- prospects left and right. The the legwork that was done with an Arizona getting six guys from overseas, two of them I think even played in the States for the past two years. So it's not like six truly dudes who are like packing up and leaving Europe in the next uh, two weeks or so. Um, but yeah, it, it will... I'm being long-winded here, GP, to wrap the pod, but I do think that it will have actual impact on how it's recruited. And when that comes down to it, I think there are long-term effects or short, short to long-term effects on how these teams perform one, two, and three years from now. Yeah, there are stories literally every summer of a coach happening to be in a gym when somebody plays well, and next thing you know, he's on the radar. Next thing you know, he's visiting. Next thing you know, he's committed. Like, those opportunities not existing really does change the landscape of college basketball. Like, somebody who would otherwise be on your favorite team's roster two years from now is not going to be there because the coaches didn't see it. And it all stinks. I mean, like... It's important to remember, like on the list of things that suck about living through a pandemic, uh, not not going to Peach Jam is 
way down the list and player prospects not having that event is way down the list, but mm-hmm. it does suck. Um, plus I want to go the bowl weevil. I miss the bowl weevil cafe. I'm sorry. What? The bowl weevil cafe. No, I, you lost me. You don't know the bowl weevil cafe. No, should I? It's the little cafe right out of the back door of the Marriott. Uh, you talking? Uh, you talking Augusta proper? Yes. Uh, out of the back door, or the, are you talking about the actual restaurant inside of it? No, you walk out of the back door of the Marriott and you walk right into the Bull Weevil Cafe. Have never eaten there in my life. What? I go there every summer. What? You're not. Every you're not with one. any of us. I try to go by myself. Yeah, sometimes. that's what's going on. I've been there. I've been there with quite a few different people. Maybe, maybe not you. Not me. I have been been in that uh, the restaurant inside the Marriott many times as well. Boy, we got a million stories about those we could tell that, someday. But that's maybe and maybe not. But uh, that's always a scene. That is that is quite the scene. Yeah, that restaurant, especially late at night after the games. How do you spell this spot, by the way? The Bowl Weevil Cafe. It's a the it's B O L L. Okay. W e e v i l. The bull weevil. Okay. Bull the bull weevil. weevil. It's right there on the little river walk thing, right out the back door of the Marriott. Look it up. Hey, maybe by, one day we'll get. Way, one, maybe one day we'll be able to get back there. I guess. I hope because, like, okay, I flew home on March. Let me make eleventh. Sure, I flew home on March eleventh. The tournament was canceled the twelfth. Were you at home when it was canceled? Yeah, because I was at the CAA tournament. With, uh, Were my, you at home favorite. the night that we talked about Rudy Gobert? Why I was I at home. I flew remember. home that morning. Yeah, okay. I, was, I flew home Maybe. that morning, and yeah, we were recording podcasts. We, we did like multiple podcasts. And we did. Night. We did. I think we did two in a day, and then you needed me to do a third, and I couldn't, so you did a third one by yeah. yourself. I yeah. think that's right. Yeah. And so I haven't been. I haven't been away from home since March 11th. This and now no peach jam. This is the longest I have been home without leaving. I think in my entire adult life. In terms of getting on a plane? Yeah. Certainly since I've been out of college. Really? I think so. Nah. You like you've gotten home at like, you know, get home on like April 9th after a final four and not hopped on a plane until June. July. You've done that. Yeah, but like this is now going to go. Just feels like six years. It feels like six decades, but it's now going to go to. I mean, I don't think I'm going to get on a plane. We had a, a beach vacation scheduled for June. We canceled it. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm not going out in July. I really don't know when I'll get on a plane again. And it would. By the time I get on a plane again, I suspect it will be the long, largest amount of time between flights. That I've had in my adult life. Yeah. I just want to get in get a, 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 I just want to board a plane and get a drink, and then I'll just I'll get off the plane. I just want to drink on a plane. <laughs> I miss drinking on a plane. Oh, you know, people know. constantly people are talking about what they miss. Like I miss being able to hug my parents, or uh, you know, I miss being able to you know have get, get a together. haircut. It's true. Yeah. I, I miss drinking on a plane. That's my number one miss. I could do I could do without having people over. I don't really care. I don't. There aren't that many people I like. I miss I miss drinking on a plane. First of all, you're a couple things. One, I got a damn stink bug on my laptop right now. You got a stink bug problem, by the way. I I don't know how these MFers get in my house. Is that a, is that a thing in Memphis? 
I, I, I mean, I, I'm familiar with stink bugs, but it's not something that I it's not something oh, I yeah. stress about. Anyone that okay. lives in the Northeast is gonna like this thing is crawling atop my. I'm gonna take a photo of this. It's just uh, ridiculous. Windows are closed. I don't know how it gets in here, and I, I'm I'm killing like one a day. I don't know how they're getting into my house. I don't know what's going on. Just it's one thing after another here. And um, what was that? What was the other thing? Oh, I do I do envy you in that. Uh, you know your hair situation is is normally not something to envy, but you're able to maintain and just keep up. Like I'm, it's it's I'm going. I, I, sh- I shave my head here. every Tuesday morning. I have to do a Facebook watch video every Tuesday afternoon, so I shave my head every Tuesday morning. Yeah, that's. I picked a good time. I picked a good time to go bald. You did pick a good time to go bald because I, you know what, my lettuce is is starting to uh, it's getting to a weird stage here. My wife is insisting on buzzing my head. Dude, this thing is attacking me. Do you see this? Do you see, see this? It. I'm getting I do attacked. See it. Oh my God! Like yeah, we don't have uh, oddly in Mississippi, we don't deal with that. Oh our, my gosh! The problem is mosquitoes and humidity. Yeah, we do have the, the the mosquitoes up here, but it's not it's not southern brutality. Like that's just where you, like it gets to be six ten and you can't be outside anymore. Like that's horrendous. We don't have you, it that bad here. Are you guys allowed to go get haircuts yet in Connecticut? Um, that's a good question. We were the last state to open up, or late, I should say, loosen restrictions, if you will. And so I haven't even tried yet, um, so I don't, I don't yet know. People are still wearing masks, though, GP. I mean, it's it's super respectful, it's, and that is highly, highly appreciated. Like everywhere I go, everyone has a mask on. Dude, I, had, I, I went to the grocery store. I, change, get, but, yeah. I went to the grocery store last time. I went to, maybe two times ago. There was a guy, must have been eighty-five years old, wheeling himself into the grocery store, no mask. He just doesn't. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. I'm on a different planet down here, but I will say they have loosened restrictions, and so far, nothing bad. Like we haven't had a bad spike or anything like that. Um, could be coming, but we haven't had it. But my wife went to a salon yesterday and got her hair done for the first time since the pandemic, and she said it was weird but fine. Like yeah. wearing a mask while your stylist is doing your hair. Just she said it was weird. Um, Weird but fine. But I did um I went and played golf. So did I I played Monday. When did you play? Sunday. I played Sunday morning. I still stink. What'd you what'd you shoot? We I, I did we were playing match play, so I didn't even keep a real score. But it was it would not have been good. Whatever it was. I did find somebody who lies about the their handicap more than I would. Okay. Hey, Tom Brady. Tom- Tom Brady. That dude says he's an eight handicap no and 0% chance. No shot. I mean, listen, I understand the nerves. Uh, you know you know that you're being watched by millions and millions. I get all that. But then again, you're Tom Brady. Like, you know. You're, you're doing... always being watched by millions. Exactly, and millions. exactly. I, golf is a different deal. But, yeah, no, I, uh, I I hear that. I played Monday. Um, brother took me out for my for my birthday, so I actually played on, on my birthday. Shot at 101 after not swinging the clubs since September, I guess. Uh, so when we went out, um, w- one cart per person, which was, which we, by the way, should be permanent. <laughs> like that was awesome. I assume you had the same deal, one cart per. Yeah, person? Yeah, we had one cart. We had one cart. You know, one person per cart. Yeah. But we also had. We we're playing at TPC Southwind. That's not a humble brag. It's just like gotcha. it's a really nice course, and so it was cart path only. Yeah. So, oh boy, we were walking around a lot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, did your which was another thing that should be permanent? Did your flag sticks have the little uh, the little hook on yes. them so you just lift up the putter? Love yep. it. Yep. Love it. Great deal. No rake. Golfers have been no waiting rakes. for for a hundred years. We've been waiting for that. So we had no obligation to rake when you leave the trap. Yeah. But no. But we were put, we were instructed to remove our balls from the traps. Oh. Yeah. We were not. We play. I hit it in. in, in <laughs> I think you were board. not supposed to be in the trap. Well, there were definitely. <laughs> 
that may have been the case, but there definitely had been people in the trap. So I thought, uh, you know, it, it is. No, I, I hit plenty of balls in the traps, but then we were instructed, pull them out and just play them like, you know, just play, no closer to the hole, but you play them off, you know, drop, take a yeah. drop. But not a, you don't take a penalty. You just pull. You're not playing traps. Leave it alone. I got you. You still uh, are you still hitting? Do you have proper irons? Or are you still going with uh, with the hybrids? I'm, I'm hybrid. Baby. Man, this dude, this dude. <laughs> Never seen whip out someone whip out a freaking eight iron hybrid on a course before. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you play with those clubs, man. I don't know how you do that. But more power to you, I guess. It, I, I will say this though, um, it felt like I had been itching to play, and then I watched the the, the match two on Sunday, and that was uh, that was really fun to watch, and it made me all the more excited to get out and play. Um, but once I was out there, I was like, oh damn, did I need this? Like. My thanks to my wife. She's like, you know what? Your birthday, go ahead, go out, uh, enjoy with. Uh, I play with two of my buddies and my youngest brother, and um, and once like once you're out there, you're like, oh boy, like I just it, needed. It felt, it felt like in a world that does not feel normal. Yeah, it felt normal. If it did, it was uh, it was really really good, and uh, you know, no frustration over a botched, you know, four iron approach or anything like that. So that was uh, that was pretty pretty cool. So uh, dig that if you are if you're able to get out. Um, I, I would certainly suggest it in a socially conscious way. It's actually the one sport that really enables itself to uh, to all of that. So I did uh, I did have a good time with that. All Last right. thing I'll tell you. Yes. I have started billions. Oh, how many episodes? Okay, hold on, hold on. I like our little end. Of, I like our little off season TV catch up thing. So you're caught up on Succession. Loved it. Okay. Well, if you have not watched Succession, or if you're not caught up, just. Fast forward for the next like thirty-five to forty seconds, or just real quick. Um, okay, so you did love it. Uh, I actually thought, like, I I liked the show. I didn't love the show. And then the final two episodes of the second season, I was like, okay, now let's get going. Now it's actually now I'm like, okay, now it's starting to get good. I called it when Kendall did that. I knew he was going to do that. Did you sense that he was going to do it when he left the, when he left the boat? I did not see it coming. But I, let me ask you this: Do you think do you think his father is pleased? Or upset? I think he's upset. You, because there's some. I I like. I read all the. Yeah. You know, I read all the reviews. So you think some, the dad knew what he was going to do before he did it? They think there's some thought that dad pushed him by saying you're not a killer, pushed him to mm. do it. In other words, got him to do what he really wanted him to do. Was like, let's keep this thing in the family. I'm not going to survive it. You kill me. Keep it in the family. Interesting. Okay. Well, I was uh, once that that finale aired i was like and now we got to wait even longer because because of all the coronavirus pushing back all this stuff okay um how many episodes into billions are you i'm, I'm on season two I'm oh like my god you're two, freaking flying five. through this first of all i'm not a binger by nature so like you're gonna be you're gonna be ahead of me in no time i'm like two episodes into season three we just watched the first two two nights ago here um but yeah it's it, it's better than do you like it more than succession already here's the thing I like Succession more because I think it's smarter. I think it, it's got it's it's actually like it's a dark, funny kind of. It is. Yeah. So I I think I like Succession more, but I will say this: Billions much easier to just fly through episodes. I tell they just they zip uh, to me. My favorite character between both shows is Bobby Axelrod to me for sure. I just I, he seems a little. I like Wendy Rhodes. <laughs> She's also very good. Yes, Wendy Rhodes is very good. I'm glad you're on the bill. I I would not steer you wrong, man. That's you're gonna be all caught up before I am then, because I I just can't keep up with that. With yeah, that it's place. like for a for a hour long show, they really do fly by. Sometimes these hour long shows, it's like 
yo, I wish this was a 45-minute show. Yes. Like you can get through a 30-minute show, no problem. Uh, sometimes the hour-long shows, even if it's a good show, like they just kind of drag. But the, the Billions does not at all. It's like it's constantly moving. It's it's going. It's it's never or rarely boring. Yeah. When you uh, – I this won't spoil anything at all. Just uh, But by the time you get to the end of season two – um, I think you'll like how the the plot, ten- where it goes and where it moves and what the characters are doing and how things twist a little bit. Um, but good to know. All right, caught up. You're catching up on Billions. I'm there with you. And once yeah, they got a new and, and the, the next thing, and I might have to pause Billions. The new Jeffrey Epstein documentary dropped on Netflix today. Oh, it did. Yeah. yeah. You, you got to get into that. Yeah. I'm interested in that. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the whole story. Oh, boy. Yeah. Like I listened to three different Jeffrey Epstein podcasts. Oh my three different gosh, ones. man! What? That doesn't. I'm just like that. Like, it's, a, it's incredible how that guy got away with that for so long. That is for sure. Just hideousness, without a doubt. Like I think everybody knows the surface level story, but like these podcasts broke it down from how he got his money, how he built this thing. It's just like what the like what? How did people allow this to go on? Like it's one thing if you're just kind of a creepo. This guy was with kids. Yeah, what are we doing? So I'm just, I'm just fascinated by the whole thing, and so I might have to break from billions, pause billions, knock out the four episodes Jeffrey Epstein documentary, and then I'll dive back in. But I'm, I'm down with billions. I all right, when we're you, all caught up in billions, we'll we'll recap. See, my see, you're you're just tearing through this on your own time. Billions is is a show that my wife really really likes, so I got to watch it with her. So I'm on I'm on her schedule. We're getting we do like two a week. You know, that's just um, not going to be caught up until freaking September. That's the problem. I get about. I'm, I'm on average probably two a day. I can get two a day. I can get one in the morning before the kids get up and then one at night after they go to bed. That's usually what I'm doing. All right, let's wrap this up so you can get to Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle Legend. Shouts to Larnell. And thank you for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, I'm going to ask you to tell one person about it. If you're not subscribed... Please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. I'd appreciate it. I appreciate you. So please go do that. We're going to talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care.